Well, thank you for being here this morning. For those of you who are in television land, thank you. This morning, we're going to be talking about something we've done before. We were in 1 Corinthians 13. But when I received, we were texting back and forth as elders about what to do for Sunday morning. This is what, Phil, last night, 8.30, o'clock at night. And as soon as Keith said, you know, I don't know if I will be there, I feel bad, whatever, I just felt the Lord say, do this word this morning and next week. <clears throat> so I sent the text in. I said, I'll be able to stand in for you if you do have COVID. And so that's why we're here this morning doing this. If there is one need in our lives that preempts and is central and all controlling, what is that need? If we were to ask, what you need? Well, I need to get a shot. I don't need to get a shot. I need to wear a mask. I don't need to be a, wear a mask. I need this help, that help, and so on. And those are all good needs. But there's one need that is all controlling. And there is one need that we have to have that has to do with our eternal life that preempts every other need. And in fact, in which every need of our life is subsumed into this one need. And what is that one need? Knowing God. Would you agree with me that there's not a single need in your life? Suppose you had all your natural needs taken care of and you don't know God. The moment after you stop breathing, what is the good of having all of that? Knowing God. And so we must know him, but not just know him in a general sense, but we must know him as the Bible tells us to know him. You remember in John 17, Jesus is praying his last prayer. And in verse 3, he is speaking to the Father and he says, and he gives us a definition, and we've talked about this before. This is eternal life. What is eternal life to you? What is eternal life? That they may know you who alone are truly God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. That personal knowing of fellowship, that personal intimacy of knowledge and experience, that knowing God himself face to face. That's our most important need. This means you see that our eternal destiny depends upon do we know God? Now you're sitting here this morning and you may not be sure that you know God that way. You've heard a lot about God. You've been raised religiously. I've heard people say this. I've known God all my life. Well, I, I agree. You have known God all your life. But you have not known God all your life in an intimate way until or unless the Holy Spirit saves you. And so there is a difference of knowing a whole lot about God and even experiencing things from God. How many of us know that God intervenes in the lives of many people who are not saved. We know this. And so that's our greatest need. And so this knowing is a combination of a head knowledge and of an experiential knowledge. We must know God intellectually. In other words, we must know what the Bible says about God and believe what the Bible says about God, what God says about himself in his own word. We must understand and know the basics of what God says about himself as he reveals himself to us through the pages of written scripture. It's just not enough just kind of generally know God. We must know what he says we must know about him. But that's just part of the knowing. Because you see, that head knowledge, if it is given to us by the Holy Spirit, and if it's real life, that head knowledge is developing and functioning in us in a living way. 
So our knowledge of God is not just intellectual. It's a living, experiential, emotional, feeling kind of a thing. So we must know God with our head and with our heart. You remember what Jesus says in John, that same chapter where he is praying to the Father in verse 14 and 15. Jesus affirms the centrality of God's word as the only true source of knowing God. Now, you can forget about reading books, watching television, and speaking to people if you're trying to hear who God is. If you want to know who God is, open your Bible. Amen? The Bible is the only source given to us by which we can know God's true identity. Amen? And we have to get that straight. And so what does Jesus say? He says, I have given them, in other words, his people, I have given them your word. Then he says in verse 15, sanctify them or set them apart specifically for your purpose. Sanctify them in your word for your word is truth. So contrary to what the world says, contrary to what the world thinks, there is only one ultimate truth. And that truth is God himself. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So how do we know who God is? Well, if we're going to find out who God is, and that must be our prime pursuit in life, to get to know God intellectually better and better and understand him, because the more we understand him, the more we will experience from him. And so with this in mind, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses eight, 4 and 8 to see where we are given God's reason for, love, for saving us. Why has God saved us? Why? You remember in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 3, Paul is giving us an explanation of who we were. We were what? We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We walked according to the course of this world. We walked in agreement with the lust of the flesh. We were in agreement with the prince of the power of the air. We were doing Satan's work. We were doing it willingly. We were doing it because we wanted to and we enjoyed it. And the result of that in verse 3 is that we were children of wrath. In other words, we had the sentence of God's eternal wrath upon us. That's who we were. But then what does verse 4 say? Ephesians 4, uh, 2, 4 is extremely significant. What does Ephesians 2, 4 say? But God, does anybody know it? Being rich in mercy. Why is he rich in mercy? Because of his great love. Are you saved today? Are you a child of God? If you are, why are you saved? You believe you're saved because you've asked Jesus to come into your heart. That's not why you're saved. You believe you're saved because you have experienced something. That's not why you're saved. You are saved today and have become a child of God by the preemptive work of God's love giving you the gift of eternal life. So what does Ephesians 2.8 say? For by grace you have been saved through faith. So we're saved today not because we received Jesus. We received Jesus because he loved us first. We called upon the name of the Lord because he first loved us. Isn't that what First John said? It's not that we first loved God, but that he, what, first loved us. So the issue this morning in knowing God comes down to knowing a lot about God. But there's a particular attribute of God which is probably the most significant functioning one in our lives as far as our experience is concerned. Listen to the way I said that, as far as our experience is concerned. How many of us really think about and worry about 
whether God is eternal. I mean, how much time do you spend with that? Whether God is almighty. You have something, but what is the attribute of God with which we question or struggle or whatever, mostly? What is it? His what? His love for us. Have any of you ever struggled when you've done that same sin 52 times? Have you ever questioned whether or not God still loves you? Anybody here? You're struggling with issues in life. And what comes into view? Whether God is eternal? Does that come into view? Or is it God's love for you? Is it God's care for you? That's where our life really matters mostly in an experiential way. Does God love me? If he does, why does he love me? How much does he love me? What, what would happen if I do something? Is this love coming and going? Is it able to be lost? Can I lose my salvation? These are significant questions. So this morning and next week, what I feel the Holy Spirit leading us to do is to take a brief look at God's love within the context of his other essential attributes. Because typically what we do when we speak about God's love, we don't associate it with the rest of his attributes. So listen to what 1 John 3, 1 says. He says, see what kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Now, if you didn't write 1 John 3, 1 down, you should write that. You should write these references down. We quote the word of God because this is the source and the authority of what we're talking about. Don't just say, well, the preacher said such and such. It doesn't matter what I say. It matters what the Holy Spirit says through his word. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love. Now, your Bible may say what kind, it may not, but that's what the Greek is talking about. See what kind of love God has bestowed or poured out upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. But why does John say what kind of love? Because you see, and we said this before, John is differentiating our kind of love, the love that we understand and that we experience from the radically, eternally, absolutely different and other than kind of love that God is in himself. He is saying by the spirit that God's love is actually the opposite of our kind of love. And so what that means is this. I cannot love God with my kind of love. Now, come on, let's face it. How many of us have either tried or vowed to say, I'm determined I'm going to love God more? Anybody ever do that? I'm going to try to love God more, right? I'm going to obey more. I'm going to try to be more patient, more kind. Anybody do this? Nobody? Come on, church. We all do it. Or if you do something wrong or need a favor from God, then I'm going to be extra what? Come on, come on, come on. It's okay. We're, we're Pentecostal church. You can speak back to the teacher. I'm going to try to be extra what? Good. Because, you see, we're so oriented toward our kind of love, Butch. This is our love that is speaking, not God's love. This is the distinction that we must make sure we understand. So what is God's love? Well, first of all, love is an essential attribute. Love is an essential attribute. Yes, you may take notes. Love is an essential attribute. What does the word essential mean? You just got to have it. Now, we have a doctor among us, right, Jonathan? Now, is it essential that my heart keep beating for me to live? Is my heart essential? Would you say that? If I don't have a heart that's functioning, can I live properly? If my heart stops beating, will I continue to live in this body? 
So what does that mean? Without essential heart, I am dead. Do we understand what essential? You got to have it. You just have to have it. Love is an essential attribute of God. But you see, the problem is, too often we make love the essential and most significant attribute of God. And that's where we go wrong if we do that. You see, when we speak of God's essential attributes, we are referring to those qualities or attributes that make God, God. Now, please don't be shy about taking notes. When we talk about essential attributes, we're talking about those qualities, those attributes of God himself that cause him to be God. We all have the essential attribute of breathing, correct? We have the essential attribute of having to have our heart work. There are certain things about us that must be present if we are to be living. So what's more important, that you're breathing or that your heart is pumping? Which one's more important? Come on, I need an answer. Somebody say something. Yell at me. Do something. Both. Wouldn't it be weird if the doctor said, well, look, your heart's not beating, but at least you're breathing. Or today we're going to emphasize heartbeat and not worry about the breathing part. Well, we, we, would you go to an, a Jonathan? Would, is that what you do when you talk to your patients? Both of them are, what word? Equally and simultaneously essential. We must see God's love that way within the context of all of his essential attributes. There is no such thing that what I need most from God is love. That the most important thing about God is his love. That is not correct. Because there is no way to elevate or denigrate, diminish any particular attribute in favor or in disfavor of another attribute and still God remain God. So that means this, that God cannot be God apart from any one of his essential attributes. This means that for God to be God, all of his essential attributes must be simultaneously and comprehensively active in him. Did we get that? Are we understanding now what an essential attribute is? Any questions about this? Does everybody get that? They are all equally necessary to the nature and character of God. And so if we're going to understand God's love, can we really understand God's love the way he is and the way he wants us to? And the way we must understand his love in isolation or in general ignorance of his other essential attributes. Is it possible to really have a full, vibrant understanding and experience even of God's love if we don't have a grasp on his love in relation to his other attributes? Amen. Are we this? Are we OK today with this? So let's start out with the most essential. Uh, you see, there it is. That's the wrong thing. You see how wrong it was? Boom, just like that out of my mouth. Let's start off with at the beginning where we need to. And here's a new word for many of you. Aseity. A what? Aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. A-S-E-I-T-Y. You see, if this were a classroom... At the end of the class, we'd have a pop test. And I'd ask each one of you, how many of you wrote the word aseity? I used to do that in the class. We'd be talking about English things and, you know, grammar and literature, vocabulary. And all of a sudden, say, oh, class, let's have a pop test. Oh, Mr. Davis, no, 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 let's do that. Let's always be prepared. Aseity. Shall I spell it again? A-S-E-I-T-Y. Well, what does aseity mean? Aseity is a new word for many of us. It just simply means God's self-existence. That God has no beginning and no end. There is nothing that has caused God. He is life in himself. He is the 
ground of his own being. He has always been, always will be. God's aseity is who he is and who he always has been and who he always will be. He has no beginning. Nothing external from God has caused God to be. He's always been. Now, that's a difficult thing to get your head around. Aseity. You see, that means that God, as I said, has uncaused life. So this is what Jesus said in John 5, 26. For the, as the Father has life in himself, so also he is granted to the Son to have life in himself. Aseity. God is. You remember what Moses says? In Exodus 3, when the Lord says, I'm sending you to free the people. And what does he say? What's your name? Why? You see, because I need to let these people know who you are, what your purpose is, and can you bring it about? They need to know you. And of all the things that God could have said, well, I'm this and I'm that, I'm the other thing and whatever. What does he say? Tell them that what? I am hath sent you. What? I am? Well, what kind of an answer is that? God is proclaiming his eternal self-existence, which means that everything and anything about God is God because God is. There's nothing in God about God that has never been and will never always be. I don't know if I said that correctly. See, therefore, because God is self-existent, what about his love? His love is also what? Come on, self-existent. You see, God doesn't have love. He is love. God doesn't have power, essentially, but he is power. He doesn't have knowledge. Essentially, he is knowledge. Do you see this? We say he has these things because first he is these things and the having them and the doing them is a display of who he is in himself. God's love owes its activity to nothing outside of himself. I want you to think about that. God's love for you, God's love for me, exists and functions not because of anything outside of himself, but simply because he is love. Do you see that? We must see that. We must be freed from the attacks of Satan to undo our fellowship with God as he attacks this significantly functioning attribute in us. And when we are attacked about Wondering about God's love for us, we must return the punch and flatten him by saying, you are a liar, John 8, 44. Because God is love and he loves me not because of anything in me, but because of who he is in himself. And for him not to do that as he has promised to do that denies himself. Therefore, he cannot be God. Remember when the Lord was explaining, Moses had the Lord explain to Israel why I chose you. Why do I love it? Has anybody ever wondered, why does God love me? Come on. Anybody ever thought of that? Nobody? COVID hasn't done that to us, has he? Yes, we think that way. No, we've all thought, why, why, why does God love me? What, what are we doing? We're looking for the source and the reason of God's love in the wrong place. We're looking for it where? Where? 
In me, George, where? Where are you looking for it? In me. It ain't in me. Thank God. So why does God love you? Shane, why does God love you, brother? Because God is love. Can we begin to get away from this grappling with me and about me and something of me and begin to see it in God? So what does the Lord tell Moses to tell the people in Deuteronomy 7? He says this, the Lord did not set his love on you nor chose you because you were more in number. He didn't set his love on you because you're this and that. <clears throat> Watch this. He did not set his love on us because we needed it. He did not set his love on us because we called out to Jesus. He did not set his love in us because we give a tithe. That's not the reason. This is the reason Moses tells the people, God love you, because the Lord loved you. What kind of an answer is that? Are you loved today by God? Are you or not? Then why? Why? Because God loved me. Stephen, there's no other answer. The two Stephens here, so both of you. There's no other answer. Julio, no other answer. McCracken, no other answer. Why does God love you? Why, church? Look at, the, look at the screen. Why does God love us? There's nothing more fundamental and true than that statement. Anything beyond that statement is wrong. Can we get this into our souls this morning? And to sink deep down to the recesses of our very life. I'm a child of God because he loves me. Why has he chosen to love me? I don't know, but he has. What did he see in me that caused him to love me? Nothing. David, he loves you. Why? Because he is love. Now, God's aseity, what does aseity mean? Self-existence. God's aseity should begin to settle some of the questions that we typically ask ourselves. I've already asked this one. Why does God love me? Judy, why does God love you? Rooster, why does God love you? Paul, why does God love you? Gwen, church, why does God love us? Look at the answer. 1 John 1, 8. 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 John 4, 8. Why does he love us? Don't you ever give another answer. Every other answer must come as a result of that and an explanation, you know, and working out from that. But that must be the basic answer. Have you ever answered, how can I be sure that God will continue to love me. Have you ever asked that? Anybody ever asked that? How can I be sure that God will continue to love me, especially what I've been doing? Anybody? How can I be sure he will continue to love me? Because his love has not been set in me having anything to do with me, but everything to do with his own decision to love. Amen? So, Caleb, how do you know God will continue to love you? Look at the answer. Why? God is love, brother, because God is love. If you put it anywhere else, it's going to slip through your fingers. And the enemy is going to begin to strangle you with that. What can I do to be assured that God will continue to love me? What can I do? Come on. What can I do to make sure that God will continue to love me? Come on, answer. Nothing. You didn't do anything to get God to love you, and you can't do nothing to get God to stop loving you. This should be freeing for some of us. It should free us from the spiritual chains that Satan puts around our hearts and our souls. Can I do anything 
overcome this love that is residential essentially in God that he has set in my heart. Can I? No. Somebody else, say it again, yell again. Yes, somebody needs to yell on these things. This is freedom. It's glorious. We're too used to these things. So the next time Satan condemns you and attacks you and causes you to be guilty, remember these things. Yes, clap for God. Not for me, for God. We read in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Why did God save us? What's the answer? God is love. Is there any other explanation? Carolyn, do you have another one? Mike, do you have another one? Burtis? Now, the next essential attribute, omnipresent, omnipresent, omni, O-M-N-I, present. God is everywhere, all the time, comprehensively. God is everywhere, all the time, comprehensively. Doesn't that make you feel comfortable? God is more ubiquitous. You know, ubiquitous means everywhere. God is more ubiquitous than the air. Everywhere. All the time. Comprehensively. You remember what the psalm says, 139.7? Oh, Lord, oh, Yahweh, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And what's the answer? Nowhere. There ain't nowhere you can go. And God isn't fully present there with you. All of God that there is is right here with us. And all of God that there is is also in China at this same moment. Tony, that's a bender, isn't it? Mm. I mean, don't we have part of God here and they have the other part? Is that Mike? I can't, I can't recognize some of y'all with these masks on. I don't like them. We need to wear them, but I don't like them. I can't figure out who everybody is. Think about it. All of God is where right now? Right here. And all of God is everywhere else at the same time. Comprehensively. Totally. Omnipresent. Have you ever thought... That you've done something and God wasn't there to see it. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I fooled God. <laughs> it's always present. Always. Well, what does this have to do with God's love? Because God is omnipresent. Jesus can confidently say this, and we can confidently believe him. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember Matthew 28, 20? Why can Jesus say, I'm with you always? Because God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. This means what? God's love is also, come on church, put it together omnipresent is there anywhere at any time where we can go where God's love is not absolutely and fully comprehensively present to and in us no you see Murphy God's love is comprehensively present because God is comprehensively present We can't get away from it. Aren't you glad? So Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. We just, God's love is omnipresent. 
Don't you ever think that you are in a situation where God's love is not immediately and comprehensively and fully present with you at that moment. Remember the boat ride that the disciples were taking? Let us go to the other side of the shore, Jesus said. Remember that? They get in the boat. Jesus has been preaching and teaching, so he's, he's sleeping. And all of a sudden, this gale, this wind comes up, and the boat is rocking back. Well, these are seamen, for goodness sake. And they're terrified, and they wake Jesus up and say, don't you care that we're perishing? It was impossible. Impossible for them to perish because the presence of God's love was in the boat with them. It's impossible for us to perish if we are God's children because God's love is completely, absolutely, comprehensively with us every heartbeat of our life. You can't get away from it. You just can't. For God to withdraw his love from us would deny that he is omnipresent. Now, how many of us know this? It may, may I use a word that you know, but listen to the word. It may seem, what does seem mean? It just feels. Are you with me? But if something feels a certain way, does it mean it is the truth? If you get a little tickling on the side of your face and you feel it's a roach. You're going to act differently than if you knew it was just a little thread. <laughs> Why did you yell and scream and go into hyperventilation? Because it seemed as if a roach was getting into my ear. You know what the word seem means now? <laughs> it may seem as if God... God's love is not present with you. Have you ever had that feeling? Oh, if you haven't, I'm not sure if you're alive. But is it the truth? Come on, church, yell it out. Let, let's yell it. Is it the truth? No. Let's hear hell hear us this morning. So when Satan says, you have lost the love of God, God has withdrawn from you. What do you say? It's impossible for God to deny himself because God is omnipresent and his love is also as omnipresent. Amen? Let's beat the devil at his game, at his schemes. Not be sitting and wandering around, but let's stop it. And let's pick up the word and begin to affirm what God says about himself. Somebody say amen. amen. Number three, God is omnipotent, omnipotent. Gene's laughing because I had a good friend who said omnipotent. O-M-N-I-P-O-T-E-N-T, omnipotent, omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? Come on. All powerful. All powerful. Now let me make a statement about this word all-powerful because there have been foolishness. Foolish questions are asked. <clears throat> Omnipotent. This means that God can do anything and everything that is in keeping with his nature and character. You've heard of, oh, God's all-powerful. Well, can God tell a lie? God can and will and does do anything and everything that is in keeping with his nature and his character. That's what the word all-powerful means. Is there any power, any will, any combinations of will? Can all of hell itself in any way effectively resist the power of God? No. Now, God may allow things to happen that looks like, wow, God is losing the battle. Man, we need to help God a little bit on this. But essentially, can, not will, can God ever 
lose anything of his purpose. Can he or not? No. Why? Because he's omnipotent. He is omnipotent. If he could lose anything of his purpose, he would not be who he is. Jeremiah 32, 17, our Lord God. Remember, Phil, we used to sing this. I know Phil's here somewhere. I hear him. Oh, there you are. Our Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Remember, Jesus says, is anything too difficult for God? Now, again, anything according to his will and, and his nature and his character. And when you read the book of Revelation, that's why God is called almighty nine times. Johnny, almighty means what? Almighty. So whatever God wills to do, first of all, that will is according to his character and nature. Do we understand that? Whatever God wills to do, can he do it? Yes. Yes. Can he do it? Let's be roaring this morning. Can he do it? Yes. It's okay to scream in church occasionally. Scream at football games. Let's raise a roar in here about these issues, about the essentialness of God's character. Is there anything, anybody, any combination that can effectively withstand the power of God? No. You notice I said effectively. I didn't say just withstand because the Holy Spirit allows people to withstand. Do you do see that? So I have to use the word effectively, Lester, to make sure that we see that essentially at the end of the day, God wins all the time. Why? Because he is omnipotent. Now, because he's omnipotent, what does that say about his love? God's love is also what? Omnipotent. Do you believe it? Whom God decrees to love. Whom God decrees to save. Whom God decrees to walk with to minister to, etc. Can he do it? Will he do it? Yes. Is there anyone who will not be in the kingdom of God that God wanted to be in the kingdom? Do we believe that our will to believe in Jesus can effectively overcome God's omnipotent, powerful will? Do we really believe that? You see, we're saved by the power of God's love. We respond because we have been overcome, thankfully, by the power of God's love. If it weren't for that, I would still be whatever. And so would you. We can rejoice, Lloyd, that God's love is powerful. And not only powerful, but omnipotent. See, this is why the Apostle Paul can say these words in Romans 8, 31 and 33. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up over him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Is God's love omnipotent? Yes. So since God's love is omnipotent, Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.6. This is audacious. You know, audacity? How dare you say that? This is what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. Because he knows God's love is omnipotent. I am persuaded of this very one thing. That he who has what? Begun a good work in you. Shall complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. Can we depend upon and be confident in the love of God this morning? Yes or no, church? Yes. 
because we know that God's love is both omnipresent and omnipotent, we can, again, as I've already quoted, rest on the promise of Jesus. I will be with you. How long? Always. The next time you're worrying about and wondering about and questioning the efficacy of God's love, draw your mind, ask the Holy Spirit, bring back to my memory these other attributes so I can put together in my mind so you, O oh Lord, can give me a more complete picture of God's love than I had before. Because I have not been adequately associating God's love with these other attributes. And therefore, I was not sure of certain things in my life because I was not sure of certain of the certainty of your love. And because we're not sure of the certainty of his love, we begin to worry about our own lives. God is omniscient. O-M-N-I. S-C-I-E-N-T, omniscient, O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-T, omniscient. <clears throat> what does omniscient mean? What? All-knowing. God knows everything, all the time, comprehensively, and immediately. God knows everything, all the time, comprehensively and immediately. So what does that mean? You see, that means this, that God already is in your or my tomorrow when we may be sinning. Come on, come on. Are you with me? Where is God tomorrow when we sin? Where is God next week when we need assurance? Where is he? Where is he? Come on, tell me where he is. He's already there. God's knowledge, omniscient. He knows everything all the time, comprehensively, immediately. Now, how many of you makes that feel, you will feel good that God knows absolutely everything? How many of you are comfortable with that? That's one of the most freeing statements of all. One of the most freeing. You see, Psalm 147, 5, God's understanding is infinite. Job 36, 4, the one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. And because God is omniscient, his love is also what? Omniscient. This means this. That at the cross, at the cross, where Shiloh went, Genesis 49, 10, Shiloh, he whose right it is to rule, Shiloh. That at the cross, God placed upon the shoulders of Jesus every sin that he knew about in my life. How much? Every sin that he knew about. And when Jesus in John 1930 said, it is finished, it is paid for. How much was paid for? Everything that God knew. And how much did he know? Is omniscience a comfortable and good attribute? Everything. Is there any sin today, tomorrow that I can commit that God did not know about? And since he knew about it, was it placed upon the shoulders of Jesus at the cross? And since it has been placed on the shoulders of Jesus at the cross, has it been paid for by the spotless son of God? Yes. Does that mean that we can live any hell the way we want? No. God knows how to deal with the disobedient. <laughs> Don't worry about that. But God's love is omniscient. It's omnipotent. It's omnipresent. 
God's love is an assay, assay to love. This means that God loves us with a love that knows everything about us, our past, our what? Present and our future. When God saved you, he knew fully, comprehensively, immediately that you would commit that sin today that you're going to commit. And what did he do? He still saved you. Why? Why? Look at the screen. Why? Tell me why, church. God is love. Or you're beginning to see it's not essentially and primarily about us. It's essentially and primarily about this God of ours who is love, desiring to manifest himself corporately in a people of his love. God's omniscient love means that at the cross, no sin was missed. This is why we can read Romans 8.1 so confidently. Does anybody remember what Romans 8.1 means, says? What does it say? There is therefore. No, no, no. Wait, wait. There is therefore now. When? Right now. Ray? When, Ray? Now. There is therefore now. What? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because God is omniscient. Because God is omnipotent. Because God is omnipresent. And because of that, his love is also omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Amen? Why? Because God is an assay. The assayity of God means that this is who God is in himself. It's who he is. And for him to do anything else denies who he is. And he cannot be God if he denies himself. It is this omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient love that has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5, 5. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so the love of God, God's love, his omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. That's the love that has been poured in our hearts. Why? Because God is an assay, the assayity of God. So no wonder. We read these words from 1 John. The apostle is writing about the Lord Jesus and he stops. And he says, I, I, just, I just have to stop and give a hallelujah to God. And he stops at the end of chapter 2 and he writes these words. <gasps> as he looks at who Jesus is, as he looks into the face of the Son of God. As he remembers Jesus, as he see, saw him on the cross, as he experienced him in the resurrection, as he experienced the day of Pentecost, he stops and he says, oh, oh, see what love, what kind of love the Father has poured out upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And such we are. And for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved. Now we are the children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears in his return, we will be like him because we will see him, we will see him just as he is. The church has been saved to be the corporate expression of this love. This is why God has saved us. So that in the corporate expression of his love as a church, God the Father receives all the glory. Amen. So this morning as Ronald concludes us in worship, let's remember this. Let's fight the good fight this week against the attacks of the enemy. And when we come back next week, we'll talk about three or four more attributes of love. Thank you. Stand together. Thank you, brother, for serving us on a last minute notice. You have given us a clear vision of the depth of God's love for us. And we see God's love even more clearly when we consider his love for us displayed on the cross. So let's sing now about that.
How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the chosen sons to glory. Behold the man. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Amen. As we leave this morning, Frank, are you here? Frank Laurie is going to pray for Pastor Keith as we close. Go ahead, right there. Just bellow it out, brother. Just yell it out. Okay, come up here then. expressed us this morning through the words he gave you well Lord we're thankful for your love your love that combines all of your attributes and places them within us Lord how marvelous that you who are love have established your presence your power wisdom your knowledge within us Lord and that is how we pray today combined made one in Jesus Christ for our dear brother Keith Lord we lift our voices we lift our heart we hearts we lift the faith you have given us as a gift right now Lord you say if we're going to come to you we must believe that you are and that you are the God who rewards those who earnestly seek you and we do that together lord so with one heart we lift up keith we lift up gina we lift up the family lord we pray for the power of your spirit to come upon them even now lord the symptoms lord whatever they may be to be eradicated lord in your way in your time even now because you are the god that does heal our sicknesses and diseases and so lord we thank you for this time may our fellowship now lord whatever that can look like father be sweet and be a pleasant and fragrant aroma of christ to god we pray in jesus name amen
Good spending the morning with you. See you guys soon. Hopefully we get to see you live stream crowd soon in here as well. See you all next week.